Okay. Our, our basic textbook uh, is, again, by the Copus Kime. It's, it's a little book called Hava Hesed. And, of course, if you look on the whiteboard, I guess you can see the uh, front of the book that I put up. So if you have the book, we can you can follow along with me. <clears throat> now, in the introduction, he talks about the fact that, that there's so many ways that uh, that you can follow Hesed. And remember that all this... The whole text, by the way, is based on uh, a passage in Micah. Anybody know the passage? <clears throat> it's in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And I, I would say that you need to read the context of this statement, by the way. But <clears throat> apart from the context, the actual text says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does God require of you but to act justly, to love chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. <clears throat> now, actually, this, this go to page 77, because we're actually going to begin in section 2, and chapter 1, where it talks about chesed explained. Okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. So the first thing he says, how greatly should one cling to the virtue of chesed? Now, for those people, by the way, that hadn't listened to the first section of our lectures, uh, I think Adam was in part of the first section, where we described that although chesed is not a command, in other words, it's not one of the Sheva Mitzvot, however, we do have an obligation, and I spent about the third, I guess the first three or four classes actually <coughs> Excuse me. Just dealing with the fact that we do have an obligation to perform chesed, and then somebody's going to ask a question. Of course, what's the difference between an obligation and a mitzvah? Well, even though uh, we have this obligation to perform chesed, we still have to follow the halakha that is set up in the Torah to perform chesed. Okay. So we can't say that we have a, a mitzvah. Uh, it's not one of the seven per se. But at the same time, we have an obligation because we understand the great favor that Hashem has given to us. Okay? So I want to just reemphasize that. But then he says, How greatly should one cling to the virtue of chesed? The extent of the required attachment is defined in the verse, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, the verse that we just read. It has been told you, O man, what is good and what God requires of you, only to act justly and to love chesed, uh, generally speaking as kindness or compassion, or maybe a lot of other words that we could use for it. But at first sight, he says, it would seem that it would have been sufficient for Scripture either to read to act with justice and kindness, or else to love justice and kindness. In other words, sometimes we can learn much uh, from a text based on the fact of what it does not say, or in the way that it says certain expressions. And so we have to be very careful when we look at texts found within the Torah, within the prophets, so that we extract the right meaning. And so sometimes we have to ask, what is it not saying? And, and get a clear understanding of what the text does not say 
and then that will aid or assist us in getting a clear understanding of what it does say. So here he's actually proving that point. He looks at it and he says, okay, uh, you would have thought it would have been sufficient for Scripture to read to act with justice and kindness. Or else, maybe it could have just said <clears throat> to love justice and kindness. But he says, moreover, by using the expression has been told to you, Scripture must have intended to convey an idea which man would be unable to discover on his own. In other words, we have been told. Now, the idea carries with it that apart from revelation, and again, this revelation, of course, is Sinai, we would have never been able to discover the fact that we, as individuals, are either obligated or under a command to perform the idea of chesed. So this comes directly from, <coughs> excuse me, from Revelation. <clears throat> now he says, now everyone knows that it is very important to act justly, and I think we all agree with that, but he says this truth is clearly revealed in the Sidra Mishpatim and the Torah Chesed as well. It is obviously important as many verses bear out as have been shown in our introduction. So we're not going to go back and look at the introduction, but hopefully if you didn't hear the lectures, you can go back and get the uh, classes from Ray at Noah Nations, and you can listen to them. However, he says, the true meaning of the scriptural intent becomes evident from the statement of Chazal, and this is in uh, the Babylonian Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin 7a. If a person's coat has been taken from him as a result of a court verdict, he should sing for joy. And now he says he's going to illustrate this statement by a story. So what's the illustration? He says a band of rebels lived in a certain city. Many joined them to strengthen their ties with one another. Like many groups, by the way, they agreed to wear similar garments. All dyed the same color. They would be, thus be set off from the rest of the population and become recognizable to one another even from afar off. Every time I read this, I'm always reminded of the... Uh, I mean, if you all saw the, uh, <clears throat> well, actually, there, I think there were two different movies at one time. They came out about the same time, but they were about wide up. How many of you all saw those? Anybody see those? Oh, come on. Nobody saw wide up movies? <clears throat> Not a Western fan? <laughs> okay. At least Adam's a Western fan. You saw both of them. So did I. Uh, but you remember there was one group of people that was always in conflict with uh, Wyatt Earp and, of course, his brothers and all the people was involved. <clears throat> yeah, the cowboys, exactly. Okay, what set the cowboys off? How do you how do you know that they were cowboys? Well, of course, they're all cowboys. But these individuals referred to themselves as cowboys. And what set them off from everybody else? Right, the red bandana or the red handkerchief. And so all of a sudden, you know, these people could recognize themselves and distinguish who was among the group. Or if you're on the outsider, of course, you could also recognize them. So this is not anything that's new, is it? And so he gives this example that they would be set off from the rest of the population, become recognizable to one another even from afar off. One day, he says, they crowded into the local tavern and drank heavily. Some of them refused to pay for their drinks, and the owner would not allow them to go until they had left their clothes. 
behind as a security for their debts. They stalked out angrily. Of course they would have been. Shortly afterwards, the conspiracy among, along with their mode of identification, was disclosed to the king. Their activities were investigated and all those who wore the uniform were captured. Their possessions were forfeited and they perished. The only exceptions were those who were unable to wear their uniforms. They were not caught and so were saved, at least from the king, right? <clears throat> Therefore they said to each other, We thought that the tavern owner had done us harm by forcing us to leave our clothes behind. But in truth, he says, he did us a great favor. He saved our lives. Let us go and applaud him for what happened now. For the future, let us make up our minds not to follow the evil ways of our friends so that we would avoid being caught like them. So he says, the Kovac Khan says, after he gives us this great little story, so in our lives, every person must realize that appropriation of another's property may cause him to lose even that part of his possessions which he did honestly acquire, especially when even his very clothes are not untainted by dishonesty, or excuse me, dishonest or forceful acquisition. As we have learned from the words of Kazal, well had they stated then when the court concluded that the clothes a man is wearing were dishonestly acquired and therefore ordered that they were to be restored to the rightful owner, the loser should sing for joy since otherwise heaven might have confiscated his property and he might have become brief of all his possessions. In other words, <clears throat> the hand of heaven, at least the judgment from the hand of heaven, might not have just been involved in the confiscation of what they had taken wrongfully, but they might have even been bereaved of even their possessions that they had acquired in an honest profession. So he goes on to say, now we proceed to understand the verse. It has been told to you, in other words, we have a revelation from God, right? When a person devotes all of his energy to the acquisition of property and takes no care that his gains be free of the taint of robbery, forceful exploration, <coughs> excuse me, exportation, dishonest dealings, and the like, he may delude himself into believing that at least for the present he is doing himself good by his exertions, and that he reckon, reckoning will only come at the end in the world above. The prophets therefore enlighten us by saying, <clears throat> has been told you, O man, what is good. So what's he intending to convey here? The Kovac Khan states, He intended to convey that contrary to the common belief that it is good for man to amass wealth, what is really to his monetary advantage is to act justly, to scrutinize all of his transactions as to ensure that his profits were acquired through means approved by Torah law. In this way, he will make certain that his possessions remain with him. This is what Scripture means by only to do justice. Next, the prophet adds. Now, here's the interesting part, right? <clears throat> Remember, he doesn't say just to do chesed, right? But he says to love chesed. So what is the prophet uh, speaking on God's behalf? What does he intend to say to us? He intends to convey that no one should deem it sufficient to ensure that his possessions are free from the taint of dishonesty and believe that they will therefore remain with him. 
and that good will be bestowed upon him on this account. He is also to dispense kindness and charity proportionate to his means, otherwise, God forbid, his wealth might gradually be reduced, as is ready in the to vote, 66b, again another passage in the Talmud, concerning Nocdemian ben Gorion. Now, we're not going to go into that, but if you uh, have access, of course, to Babylon Talmud, you might want to go back and read about the story. Now, he says, as for the choice of words, to act justly and to love chesed, rather than to act with justice and chesed. The prophet has thereby drawn our attention to a new and important lesson, to an area where almost everyone is at fault. That uh, probably includes us, especially if we haven't really paid a lot of attention to what God says about uh, performing acts of chesed. Indeed, he says, we all perform acts of kindness, but we are kind only under pressure. Now, what he's saying is when somebody knocks at your door, and as the person knocks on your door, <clears throat> you're kind of more or less under pressure to give, right? Or if somebody comes repeatedly uh, asking for a loan or asking for a gift of some money, uh, then you're kind of pressured into giving. And that's not what he's talking about. This is not actually the love of chesed. So we do perform acts of kindness, but we usually perform them under pressure. <clears throat> now let me ask you a question. What is the greatest act of chesed that one can know of? What is the greatest act of chesed that one knows of? Immediately knows of. Anybody want to take a shot? If you'd rather talk at him, I can give you the mic. Giving life, exactly. So when we look at ourselves and that we have life, now the question is, did I pressure Hashem into giving me life? Or did uh, did you pressure Hashem into giving you life? No. So, <clears throat> how did life come about? Right. How <laughs> could you pressure God exactly? Well, that's the whole point. But the lesson that we have to learn is that our purpose is to to know our Creator, right? To know God uh, in a sense that that we can know Him. <clears throat> and generally, we, we know him mostly by what he's not. Uh, but we also know certain attributes or traits, uh, or maybe a better word is behaviors, right? How he behaves. And then, as we learn his behaviors, what are we supposed to do with those? Just sit back and say, well, that's really nice, you know, that he behaves that way toward us. Or what is our responsibility to act toward those behaviors? To copy them, exactly, to emulate them. So if we understand that Hashem has granted us life, uh, the greatest tested that anyone can find, because nobody pressured him into making us, so why did he make us? There's another word that maybe you're not familiar with, but it's beneficent. 
Chesed, exactly. But what what provoked him to perform Chesed? The other word I just used. Beneficent? Well, we're just speculating. Now, we're not getting back to the ultimate cause. I mean, that's ridiculous to actually think of that. But we know that he's beneficent, right? What does beneficent mean? He loves, right? Now, we don't know exactly why he loves, so we just forego that. But we do know he, he does love. And because he loves, uh, not in the sense that we think about, you know, in our society, of course, the idea of love has been totally corrupted. <clears throat> but because he does love, then he loves to do what? He loves to perform acts of chesed. So it's up to our obligation to do what? To emulate his behaviors. And as we emulate those behaviors, then we should emulate them in the same way. Uh, demonstrate that love. Okay. Uh, well, for example, uh, he, he loves Israel. And is Israel always uh, a perfect people? He demonstrates his love and his, his chesed toward them. <clears throat> exactly. So it's not the fact that uh, we have to be a perfect people or even a righteous people per se. But there might be somebody, uh, in the case of Israel, for example, what about the patriarchs? You know, They kind of earned merit. And because of that merit then God continues to share his love upon the people of Israel. I was just looking, by the way, uh, a couple of weeks ago in the uh, Parsha reading. <clears throat> I don't know how many of y'all do the Parsha readings, but I, I hope that you do do Parsha readings because you learn so much as you go through them. Uh, but it's in Parsha reading, Kisa, uh, I believe, Kisa, Kisa, I think is the way you say it. <clears throat> It's in the section that deals with the golden calf. Anybody read that section this week? Well, last week, actually, yeah. Is that it? Uh, mine says S-I-S-A. I must be using a uh, Asgenazic translation. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, if you read that, was, was there things in it that arose or at least uh, made you have a lot of questions about things? Anybody? Do you have any questions when you went through that section? Okay, what <clears throat> what kind of invokes some questions to me is, first of all, okay, first of all, uh, in a lot of English translations, by the way, it says that God repented of the evil that he was about to do to the people of Israel. So that's the first question I would have, right? What do you mean he repented? Does God have to repent? You know, in the book of Numbers, he says, uh, and Balaam was prophesying, by the way, it says that God's not a man that he should lie, neither is he the son of man, neither is he a ben Adam, you know, a human being, that he has to repent. So it's quite obvious. Uh, what's the problem here? Yeah, it's the same in Brashit, and also there's a place in the prophets, by the way. But the problem is, you know what it is? <clears throat> exactly. 
Now that one might have the word teshuva, by the way, but this one doesn't have the word teshuva. It's actually uh, the root word for rachmanus. And rachmanus, of course, is just what? Compassion and kindness. So in the text, it's actually saying that God, uh, because of his compassion, chose not to uh, punish the people. Interesting, huh? He didn't repent, but he was compassionate toward the people. So it's, it's actually in the Hebrew text. The next question I had in this section, by the way, and this is the one I wanted to get to, is that all of a sudden we have a couple of things going on. Number one, we know that when Moses comes back down, of course, he breaks the commandments, and then he challenges the people to choose sides. And if you remember that none of the Levites were actually involved in the worship of the golden calf. And so he challenges the Levites to do what? Anybody remember? Seems pretty cruel. Yeah, Aaron made it, but he wasn't actually involved in the worship of it. And I'm going to prove to you why he was not. Right, the Levites were to kill all those people that were <clears throat> actively involved in uh, other Israelites, exactly. Uh, that were actively involved in the worship of the golden calf. But what about those people that were secretly involved in the worship of the golden calf? How do you deal with those people? How would you deal with that? Well, actually it didn't happen at this time. Exactly, gold and water. Okay, now here's the idea that he takes the golden calf, he grinds it up into fine powder, mixes it with water, and he makes the people of Israel drink it. Have you ever heard anything similar to this before? Is there something similar to the same idea of this in the, in the Torah? Soda water? How about the law of the jealous husband? You ever hear that one? Okay. So now, the law of the jealous husband, was it involved? Exactly. Okay. So <clears throat> if a, a husband was jealous of his wife and... He brought her before he brought her to the high priest, and the high priest would get, gather some dust from off the floor of the temple, mix it with water, and she would drink it. Now, if she was guilty, then there were certain results that happened to her, right? Physically, basically, she died. Okay. Now, if she wasn't guilty, what happened to her? Absolutely nothing. So in some sense, we have the golden calf incident. Exactly. Not only, not only did she not die, but she was uh, was even blessed with kids. Now, but but my point is that many many times, and yeah, and her husband was never able to divorce her. But many many times that we find in the Tanakh that God metaphorically is viewed as the husband of Yisrael, is he not? How many times have you read about that? 
in several occasions, by the way. I mean, there's different type of metaphors. Sometimes it's a husband and wife relationship. Sometimes it's a father-son relationship. It just depends upon what God wishes to stress at a specific time. So at this point, is God the jealous husband of Israel? Metaphorically, he is, isn't he? Of course he is. So metaphorically, we'd say, indeed, he is a jealous husband. Exactly, with a golden calf. We know in the text of the Torah itself, it says, and we have to take this metaphorically, you know, it says, I'm the Lord God, I'm a jealous God, right? So he makes the people, or Moses at least makes the people, Exactly. Makes the people drink this mixture of ground up gold and water. Now, what would have been the result? What about people? Now, you know, we've already dealt with the fact, in fact, the Levites have dealt with the people that were uh, known worshippers of the golden calf. But what about the other group? Okay. What if there was a group that were secretly worshiping the golden calf? What would have happened to them? Now, you've already dealt with those people that were obviously involved. Yeah, you know what would have happened to them. Same thing that would have happened to the uh, adulterous wife that had been stepping out on her uh, husband had she drank the, uh, yeah, I guess they would have died, exactly. So God not only dealt with those people that were explicitly, openly involved, that everybody knew about, but what about those people that were secretly involved? Did they escape uh, the justice of God? Okay. Well, exactly, it's impossible. But at least we understand exactly, uh, maybe later on, by the way, where the law of the jealous husband actually uh, has its roots in is this this one here. But why is a husband jealous of his wife? Or why should he be jealous of his wife, by the way? I'm getting to my point, Adam. <laughs> Slowly but surely, and everybody else too, by the way. I just pick on that. He loves her. Exactly. He loves her and he doesn't want her to do what? In this case, to be messing around with other gods. Okay? Exactly. They're cheating on uh, In fact, uh, many, many times, you know, God refers to the nation of Israel as an adulterous wife. Uh, so, you're talking about, you know, how do we know what God loves? Well, here it is. He loves Israel. Israel is being metaphorically as his wife. He's jealous, not in the sense that we think about jealousy in the human terms, but he, he's the only uh, God, and he wants people to worship him only. So this is that love that you talked about. Can you demonstrate it? Yes, he does love Israel, uh, and he wants the very best for them. 
and this is the way he demonstrates his love for them. Okay, does that pretty much tell us that he does love? Not ne not necessarily the way our society talks about love, but that's the way he loves, and he demonstrates that love. Okay, well if it sounds good to you, Adam. I, I must be doing all right. <laughs> okay, now and that's what I wanted to demonstrate was that. <clears throat> This, through this love, he loves doing kindness. And that's the whole point. Uh, beyond that, we can't go any further. And we were really kind of, you know, stretching the metaphor even get to that point. We don't know why he loves. That's the real problem. That's the real question. Well, how does God love? We don't know. Uh, the other question is, why does God do chesed? We don't know. Uh, other than the fact that he loves to do it. That's all we know. So we can't go beyond that. There's always a stage once we get to we hit the brick wall because we just don't know. But there are things we can know up to that point and we and we need to understand those because one of our obligations is because of the favor that he grants to us, we are under an obligation to emulate or to copy those same behaviors. And so when we see God acting in a certain way, behaving in a certain way, a lot of people like to refer to them as attributes. I'd rather just refer to them as, as behaviors. I think it's a better word. And, and then, because he acts in a certain way, then we're to copy those ways. And this is why we are told, uh, old man, we're told what's good. And what is good? Not only to do chesed, but to do what? To love chesed. Why? Because this is the same behavior uh, that God extends to all of humanity. And, of course, uh, we see it carried out especially in the lives of the people of Israel, that he does love them. Okay? Now, so the prophet tells us that we have a choice of words here that are really unique. And, and we could, might have said it this way, and it might have been said that way, but no, it wasn't said that way. It was said this way with a specific, specific reason. So he says, for the choice of words to act justly and love to love chesed rather than to act with justice and chesed. The prophet, he says, brings our attention to a new important lesson, to an area where almost everyone is at fault, as he has stated. Indeed, we perform acts of kindness, but we are kind only under pressure. And again, this is not the way God performs chesed toward humanity. As Adam said, can we pressure God into anything? No, we cannot do that. So he says, when a person is in distress, needing our favor, he turns to us at once and again a second time, and we find it difficult to avoid him. So we extend help to him. Even when we act not all willingly or kind-heartedly. So the prophet exhorts us. What's he exhort us? What does God require of you only to love <coughs> chesed? Now wait a minute. Did he say do it? Now we're to do justice, are we not? But does he say that we are to do chesed? What is, what's the real uh, command here, in a sense, from the prophet? The command is, is to love chesed, right? Or we would say, to love kindness, okay? Now, 
this really brings us into some crucial matters as we will continue on and we'll see these crucial matters. You should not think, and this is uh, I think probably within the minds of many, but he says you should not think that by occasional acts of kindness you have discharged your duty completely. You know, just because we hand some money out to people or because we <clears throat> are forced into doing uh, occasional acts of kindness and compassion, don't think that we have discharged our duty, right? But what he does say, instead, one must possess a love for this mitzvah. In some sense, that's the real mitzvah, right? Because if you love this mitzvah, you know what you're going to be find, what you will find yourself doing. Okay, uh, maybe uh, another example. If you love someone, now I'm not talking about being physically attracted to someone, but I'm talking about loving someone. How do you act toward that person? Well, let me ask you another question. What would you do for that person? You do things for them, exactly. If you really love someone, uh, do they have to ask you to do things for them? Okay, Adam says if you're an action star, you blow things up. <laughs> yeah, you, you might even do that. But the point is uh, that you do things for people even when they're not pressuring you. And so if you love someone, you act more or less spontaneously. When you see that they have a need, you, you respond to that need. There's a passage in the book of Job I always found very familiar. Uh, Eov, you know, it's one of those biblical names, by the way, it doesn't really sound like his uh, English name, but Eov makes uh, a point of how he acts toward other people. And what he says is that every morning he gets up <clears throat> and he applies his clothes but he, but he calls those clothes uh, behaviors. And so he puts on justice and he puts on righteousness. Now, righteousness, zedakah, by the way, chesed is covered under the idea of, of zedakah. And we made this point when we were looking at the definition that the Rambam gave us in the guide for perplex. So <clears throat> chesed actually follows under that, that overall blankage of zedakah. So what do we do? Uh, he says, he, he puts on his clothes, and he goes out, and he says, I was eyes to the blind, and he was feet to the lame. In other words, he helped people that were unable to help themselves. Now, did he wait for them to come knock on their door? It'd be kind of hard for a blind person to find his door to knock on it, right? What about a lame person that's unable to walk? Would he be able to knock on Job's or Eov's door? Well, the answer is probably not. And so immediately what we find out is Eov is actively going out and helping people. And then he also talks about he takes care of the widows and the orphans, right? Now, the widows and orphans in a relationship is to understand that 
these people have no one to defend them. Usually they are the people that we consider oppressed, and so because they are oppressed and nobody is out there defending them, uh, upon many occasions God pleads with the nation of Israel to plead for the widow. And, of course, the word plead is like a lawyer in a courtroom where he's pleading his case. It's his defense. So what is Hashem calling up on us to do? Basically, when he uses those words, is to understand that we must speak and defend those that are defenseless. In other words, people that can't defend themselves, we are to take up their case and their cause. Okay, so Job says he does that. Now, does he just stop? Does he say, okay, you know, I was eyes to the blind, I was feet to the lame, uh, I took care of those people that were not able to defend themselves, I defended them, you know. Uh, anybody else know this passage, by the way? I'm just giving it off the top of my head at the moment. But you might want to go back and, and read it and just make sure I'm giving it to you off the top of my head correctly. <laughs> okay? Now the next thing he says, what does he do to evildoers? You know, the people that want to oppress people. I find this very interesting. What does he do to evildoers? You want the mic, Adam? You going to tell me? What evildoers, he says, uh, I'll break their teeth out. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Uh, well, you know, what do we consider evildoers? People that are not performing righteousness and justice. They're evildoers. Now, you know, Eov has taken care of everybody in his hometown. You know? And now he can sit back and relax, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's done everything that he's done to the blind in his hometown, to the lame in his hometown, to the widows and orphans in his hometown. He's, you know, kind of dashed the teeth out of the evildoers. Uh, but does he stop there? Does he say, okay, I've done everything I can do? What's his next step? Anybody know? His next step, he says, I went looking. Looking for what? for ways to perform acts of justice and righteousness. Mishpatim Zadaka. He goes looking for it. In other words, he's actively involved. Now that's really what he's talking about. It's not just setting back. It's actually going out, seeing people that have needs, and then meeting those needs, or helping those people. So it's, it's, it's an active cause. If we just sit and wait for people to knock on our doors, uh, and we're pressured into doing acts of compassion, we haven't really fulfilled the true idea of, of the love of chesed. Because to fulfill the real mitzvah of loving chesed is to actively go out and, and to see the needs of others and in some way try as best as you can uh, with acts of kindness. Now, we're not talking about just throwing money at people. And I think sometimes that's what people think. Although, giving money to people sometimes is part of that. There's a lot of laws, and we're going to get into the laws later. We'll actually get into the Alaka, but I wanted to explain some things here uh, first before we actually got into the stated laws. So we have to be actively involved in this idea of chesed. 
not sitting back on our laurels waiting for people to knock on our door and to ask us so we can act with kindness and compassion only when we're pressured into it but we have to be actively involved going out looking for ways of performing this so as the COVID time says don't just think by your occasional acts of kindness that you have discharged your duty completely instead and he makes this emphatically one must possess a love for this mitzvah now he says obviously a great difference lies between what a person does because of pressure and what he does out of love and I think we've uh, thoroughly explained that but we see how we ourselves act toward our children in pursuit of food and clothing in marriage and all that is motivated by love here every person uh, ranges far beyond his duty in other words there are basic needs for our children I, I tried to explain this uh, to my children over the years and, and to my daughter I explained to her uh, very thoroughly sometimes I'm only responsible to take care of your needs your basic needs and what are those basic needs <laughs> Well, uh, we can laugh, and sometimes I have to laugh about it too, but, but I have made the point very clear to her and to my children through the years that I'm only responsible for basic needs. What are the basic needs? Make sure she has food. Does that mean she's going to eat steak every night? No, it means she has food. Exactly. Food, next thing, clothing, right? Uh, it might, and by the way, it doesn't have to be a pair of Nikes uh, or brand name blue jeans or whatever, you know. Uh, no, not inter internet access. That's that's not a need. Uh, and, and the next need, by the way, is shelter. Now, that's my responsibility. Now, of course, if you ask her, she has a lot more than that. In fact, yeah, Adam, she does have internet access. Uh but she also has a limited time on internet access. <laughs> but why do I give her those things? Right? Uh, I meet her basic needs. And, and again, I remind her about this that I don't owe her anything other than basic needs. But I do give her other things. And the reason that I give her other things is because I love her. There are times that I go out and I'll come home either with something uh, and sometimes maybe it's just a small thing you know uh, my wife Joni she likes uh, candy bars <laughs> and so does my daughter Ellie Shava so sometimes when I go to the store believe it or not just picking up a, a candy bar and bringing it home you, you'd be surprised what results you get from just bringing candy bars home uh, they didn't ask you know uh, and look they had food but here's something they enjoy something they like and I did it because I loved them I, I was thinking of them at that time when I was in the store walked by the candy bar uh, place and I saw the candy bars and, and I know how much they uh, like candy and I had the ability to obtain it and I did and I brought it home but that was far beyond just basic needs right so what it we are motivated by love and because we do that we seek to benefit 
our uh, our mates, individuals that we are uh, connected with, that we love. We we want to benefit those people. So he says, a father seeks to bring benefit to his son even when the latter has not asked for it. In other words, he doesn't ask for things, but yet the father does those things for him. And he is happy and good in spirits when he does so. It makes you feel good when you do good things, right? So in this case, if a person really loves this trait of chesed, he will search for the ways and means to do good to his fellow man. And he will act generously. And as for the many aspects of this virtue, which we shall, please God, further explain on, he will seek to fulfill them out of love and not through compulsion. And that's the whole point. The point is that we must love this virtue and not that we're acting out of compulsion in any way to perform acts of chesed. The more that we learn about God and his behaviors toward us as human beings, and the more that we grasp those behaviors and implement them into our own lives and begin to emulate those, then we begin to understand what it means to really fulfill a commandment out of love. And again, we do this for people that are close to us all the time. But what about people that we think that are not too close to us? You know, does God decide, oh, okay, that guy, you know, I don't know if he's really close to me or not, so I'm not really going to let it rain in his part of the country. But I'll let it rain in the other guy's part of the country because I'm really concerned for him. And maybe that might happen sometimes. But generally speaking... Uh, rainfall usually falls on everyone, right? Well, I said in specific cases, you know, especially with Israel, by the way, they have a uh, uh, a unique connection to rain. Uh, and there are a couple of types of rain. We've talked about that before. There's a, a rain that comes, a natural rain, and it just falls because that's the way God set up... Uh, Exactly, the Messiah here that will change. Uh, exactly, in Zechariah, it will definitely change. But but it, that is in relationship even to Israel today in some sense. But natural rain just becomes because God set the natural laws and certain things happen within our climate and it produces rain. But there's also another type of rain that we found in the book. In fact, the very first mention of, of rain in the book of Genesis is not a rain that comes through nature, but it's a rain that only comes in direct response to uh, people's prayers. So it's that type of rain. Okay? So, I guess uh, our time's about up today, so I'm not going to go any further. We got to page 80 at the top of the page, and we're still uh, in the Kofitz Kimes section, section number 2, where he is talking about to explain chesed, explaining chesed. So hopefully what we have grasped today is that there is this thing called love. And just being, just doing an, a, a, an act of chesed because somebody pressures us into it, we've not really fulfilled the mitzvah. The real mitzvah of chesed is loving chesed. Okay? Loving chesed. And there's a lot of commandments that people don't think about sometimes that uh, 
I think me and Adam was talking about one the other day uh, that people don't really think about, for example, and I think I got about six minutes, so uh, let me use this one as an example. How many of you ever heard people talk about those old rabbinic injunctions, injunctions you know, we really don't have to do those. What, what are those things all about? You ever hear anybody talk kind of obscene about those? Nobody? Gee, everybody just takes your law and says that's the way it is? <laughs> well, of course, if you're around long enough, you're going to hear people make those kind of statements. Okay? But or is that really true? What about in the Torah it says when you have a problem with the law, you are to go to the priest or you're to go to the Levite or you're to go to the judge your day and he is to give you the interpretation of that law. Anybody remember that section? Nobody remembers that section, huh? Okay. Anyway, uh, it says once he explains to you, once he gives you the, 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 the right interpretation, or it may even be a wrong interpretation, but once he gives you what that law is all about, it says that you are not to act presumptuously. You can't accept will. You can't say, well, gee, I really don't like that ruling, so I'm not really going to do it. And in fact, a person that acts presumptuously is actually calling for the death penalty because he's actually disagreeing with what the judge has said. Now, what if he goes ahead and carries out what the judge says? And let's just, we're, we're going to throw this example in for just one moment. The judge gave him the wrong information, right? But yet, he goes out and fulfills it exactly the way the judge has, has done it. Has he really performed a mitzvah? Yes. Okay. Now, if, if he performed it incorrectly, then what mitzvah did he perform? Exactly, the mitzvah of listening to the judge. He might have performed the other mitzvah improperly, but that's not his fault. He took the words of the judge, and because he went out and he took those words and he listened to what the judge said, and he performed it, he indeed performed a mitzvah, but it's the mitzvah of listening and giving heed to the judge. So many of the oral law that we find within the context uh, of many things that the rabbis say. Some people say, well, gee, you know, that just seems kind of weird, and you think we should do that, and that don't seem right. If you don't listen and perform it the way that the sages have described to perform it, and maybe they're wrong. Who knows, right? Or maybe they're right, but if they're right, then you have actually performed two mitzvahs, right? You've performed the mitzvah correctly that you asked about because he's given the instruction of how to do it correctly. And you've also performed the mitzvah of listening to the judge. So you've actually done two things.
Okay? And there's many other situations like that that you find in the Torah. And so for us, instead of chesed, it's about not just performing acts, not being pushed into performing acts, but it's performing acts. Why? Because we love it. We have to develop that love. And the way we do this is, is just, again, to emulate our Creator. Because His beneficent love for us, He gives us life. He wasn't pressured into giving us life. He just loves. He loves to give us life. Now, why? I don't know. That you'll have to ask later on in life, maybe. Or maybe, I'll well, take it back, maybe later on when you leave this life and go into the next life. Maybe you can answer that question, or ask that question and get an answer for it. Okay? Well, that about wrap us up today. We're just about one minute away. So if you have any questions or comments before we close out this session, uh, you can type them in or if you have any. Thank you, Brian, for listening. Good to see you again, Glenn. Thanks for dropping in, by the way. And Adam, as always. I wasn't too provocative today. I, you know, I'm going to have to get Andy back in here. <clears throat> Got to provoke me a little bit more. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Okay, well, if there's no questions or comments, then, God willing, we'll pick up the next week on page 80 in the textbook that we're using. Of course, it's the Ahava Hesse by the Kofis Kaim. If you don't have the book, I would suggest that you get it. You can get it uh, through Ray at Noat Nations. Uh, and, and you can have it for, I mean, it's a relatively inexpensive, and you can learn so much from this valuable little book. So... Uh, if that's all, then we'll close it out. And you guys have a great week, and God willing, we'll see you next week at the same time.